Welcome to Inspiring Change from Ocali, our forum of stories and connections from our ongoing work of inspiring change and promoting access for people with disabilities. I'm Simon Buer. There are almost 7 million students who receive special education services in the U.S. Those services can range from highly customized and personalized offerings delivered in a one-on-one setting to supports provided within a general education environment and everything in between. Over the last month or so, most if not all of the students who receive special education services and their families, and just like most of the students in this country, have been learning what it means to learn from home. Most schools across the country have been closed during the COVID-19 pandemic, and that has resulted in an abrupt and immediate impact to the educational landscape and has forced schools, teachers and support staff, parents and families to practically invent in real time new ways of educating and supporting millions of students across the country. As part of our ongoing series, Voices, Visions, and Victories, we wanted to know more about some of the changes and challenges that resulted from this sudden transition, particularly when it comes to providing special education services. That transition happened all at once, without a lot of warning, and with limited preparation time for the educators, support staff, students, and families that are involved. But as it unfolds, This moment and these circumstances also illustrate the creativity, resiliency, and ingenuity that follows when people are forced into an unexpected situation, and instead of giving in or giving up, channel their collective energies and experiences and work together to improvise, invent, and figure things out along the way. The Ohio Department of Education recently released a document entitled Considerations for Students with Disabilities During Ohio's Ordered School Building Closure. In bold red letters on the first page, it says, It is important for school personnel and parents to work together collaboratively during this time to find ways to continue to serve and educate students with disabilities. So we talked to an educator. Yeah, I'm David Brooks. I am a multiple disabilities teacher. Um, I currently work with elementary kids um, from grades uh, kindergarten through fifth. And we talked to a parent. He's the most social uh, child with autism I've ever seen. (laughs) He's very socially aware and um, very aware of his surroundings. I don't know if you can hear him, he's jumping. To hear one example of how special education services continue to be delivered during a global pandemic. Yeah, he he's definitely has um, a high proprioceptive need jumping. I'm going to put him in Special Olympics as soon as he turns eight. <laughs> Patty Lights is a nurse and mother of four. Her youngest son, Michael, is in first grade. They've lived in Ohio for two years now, though their home is actually in Virginia. Michael's seven years old. 
he was, he's in first grade. He was diagnosed with autism at 18 months and then started ABA at like 20 months. And then they call him nonverbal. He uses LAMP for communication on the iPad, a communication device, due to having the limited ability to communicate, you know, um, yeah, you know, it does definitely affect his life greatly, but, um, he's very good at, uh, he's a strong personality, very good at communicating non-verbally also. Yeah. So he, uh, the thing is, cause he's non-verbal, you don't know what's going on in the head and, uh, uh everybody's telling me there's a lot going on in there. Well, I live in Ohio and I work in Virginia. My home is in Virginia. We have a home in Virginia. My husband's in Virginia and my job, I work at the hospital there. It's been a struggle since I came here. I've been here two years, and uh, but I've been trying to balance the working from home and taking care of the kids and everything. And it's um, it's been, uh, you know, I haven't succeeded yet 100%. David Brooks is Michael's teacher. He teaches kindergarten through fifth grade at Barrington Elementary School in Upper Arlington, Ohio. I have eight on my caseload now, and they kind of cover the whole range of ages. I've got a couple of kindergartners, I've got a fifth grader, and some sprinkled in there in between. Um, and they have all sorts of needs, academic needs, social needs, behavior needs. Uh, there's a little, little bit of everything in there. And most of the education is very individualized to that student's needs. Um, and their day is also very in- individualized. Some of them are in the general education setting a lot. Some of them hardly go out at all. Uh, and then there's some that's kind of about 50-50, things like that. David and Patty learned that schools would be shut down for a few weeks just before they went on spring break. Which, in some ways, was good, since it gave them a little time to think about and try to adjust to this new reality. But which was also not so good, since it gave them a little time to think about and try to adjust to this new reality. Um, it did, unfortunately, kind of put a damper on spring break. You know, with my my wife, who's also a teacher, like we had, we had all these uh, fun plans that all got canceled, and we had to reschedule. And then, pretty much the entire the entirety of spring break, I'm in my head like, how am I going to make this look? What do I need to do? What's the district, you know, expecting us to do? How are the families going to deal with this? So. Um, there was a lot of questions going through my head, but unfortunately, really no answers at that point. Yeah, you know, my biggest thought with the whole thing, of course, is the kids' health and whether they're safe and, and healthy. And, um, you know, m- my other kids can understand a virus and understand pandemic. You know, the older kids are 16 and 14, but, you know, Michael can't understand that. So um, there was a difficulty in him understanding that he's not going to school, even just for the spring break. <laughs> Um, he kept asking for school. For lots of kids on the spectrum, the transition from school to vacation and then vacation back to school can be really challenging. It's a disruption to the daily structure and routine, to that predictable way of understanding where one is going, what one is going to do, and the corresponding rules, guidelines, and expectations. And the loss or suspension of these things can be confusing, difficult, even traumatic. And now you have a new situation where it's not just an extended spring break, as we were calling the COVID-19 school closures in the early days, but an abrupt shift to schooling from home, 
occurring simultaneously with parents, those lucky ones who still have jobs, who are now working from home. And this is a new kind of disruption for everyone. Yeah, this is this is brand new. Much of what I do on a daily basis, you know, is um, hands-on. There's a lot of corrective feedback in real time. You know, I try to be as proactive and prepared for a situation as possible. But a lot of it is feeding off the students and, you know, how they're feeling and how they're reacting to things. So any any plan that I make could, could change on a drop of a hat. So makes distance learning pretty difficult. My biggest feeling about the whole thing was fear of, you know, my kids, you know, making sure they're safe and healthy. The other thing was fear of failure. <laughs> I thought, oh, no, I depend a lot on Mr. Brooks and the team there. It's all so much hands-on and there has always been a big gap between home, what he can do at home and what he can do at school. Patty learned firsthand that she was going to have to be the one to somehow fill that gap between what Michael could do at home and what he could do at school, especially now that home and school were the same place. Unfortunately, I have to lean on the parents quite a bit, you know, with with a lot of the instruction being very individualized and kind of discrete trials, there's really nothing I can do from my home and then the students at their home. So I have to rely on the parents. And now, and now those parents who don't have an education background are being asked to be a special education teacher. Patty was going to have to play a very active role in Michael's continuing education. This wasn't going to be one of those situations where David would try and teach Michael through Zoom or Skype or some other kind of video conferencing tool. That just wasn't going to work. Instead, he was going to coach Patty to fill in for him, like an at-home substitute teacher. Patty's not trained to be a teacher. She didn't go to school for it. I'm a nurse. She's a nurse and a mom. A mom whose husband is back home in Virginia. A mom who is now, like so many other parents, going to play this new role of surrogate teacher. And in order to do that, the parents need to know what to do, what's expected, kind of materials I use, and lingo that I use. And lingo that I used. We'll get back to this in a minute, but it's worth noting that having the right words, the right language, would prove to be really significant and important. So I have been sending a daily lesson plan, if you will, um, each morning with one math activity that focuses on one of the students' IEP objectives and one reading activity that focuses on one of the students' IEP objectives. And with each of those activity, there's a video recording of myself explaining the procedures, explaining um, what is expected. I'm telling them the words that I typically use that the students have responded successfully with. Um, I'm demonstrating it. If I'm also demonstrating if a student does something incorrectly, how to um, do a correction procedure for that. It also has written instructions on what to do and links to any materials um, that they may need, whether it be a worksheet or flashcards or something. I'm just trying to give them the bare minimum of what they need to do to continue to have the students be exposed to their educational 
materials. So he put on here before any uh, at the top of like the assignment of what the lesson plan of what Michael was supposed to do. You know, he put in the expectation. He put is very clear, very clear explanation in, in writing of what I need to do. But then he did this video up on top that before every assignment um, of explaining to me how to teach Michael um, that using use these words. You know, this is what he he just say. This is what I do. And so I took notes and I wrote down word for word what he was saying with what he said to Michael. And so then when I, and I had that with me when I went in to teach Michael and, you know, had my visuals of, you know, school and first school, then iPad had that all out. But when I sat down with him and used the words that Mr. Brooks gave me, he looked at me like, what? You know, basically like, how did you find that out? You know? Um, and then he, uh, he responded right away. He, I used Mr. Brooks's words and I imitated Mr. Brooks, what he showed me in the video. And Michael did the work just right then readily. So the combination of clear instructions on what to do, expectations based on Michael's IEP objectives, and a video of David explaining and demonstrating how he would teach the day's lessons. These are the tools and strategies that are given to Patty. Plus, as we mentioned earlier, the specific words and language suggested by David. Lingo that I use. These words, which for Patty at least, prove to be the real key, almost a literal key, to unlocking the experience of teaching Michael. When I sat down with him and used the words that Mr. Brooks gave me, he looked at me like, what? You know, basically like, how did you find that out? So what exactly did Patty do with these words? Consistency, make visuals, um, you know, get them on a schedule. These are the rules. Just set it up from day one. You know, this is the expectation. And I used uh, Mr. Brooks. I always talked about, you know, using the first and then, you know, first to do school. Then you can have your iPad. That was key. So he learned that after the first day that he's not going to get his iPad unless he sits down and does the schoolwork. And then, um, so it took like, you know, four days trial and error. One time he made me wait an hour. I sat there at the table while everything all laid out and, uh, he just played around, not even with any toys. He was just like selective ignoring me. I come over to me and say, you know, iPad. And I say, you know, point to the visual and say first school, then iPad. So, but he, after an hour, he finally came over and did it. Of course, this isn't just like pushing a button. Voila, home education. It's a lot of trial and error, stops and starts. Some days are better than others. Um, because of working, it has to be flexible. I can't say that every single day at 10 a.m. we're going to get on, sit in the table and do work. What I thought I was going to be able to do that, like in my mind, in my dream world. <laughs> but it, uh, it is not a reality. When I'm working, I cannot, who knows, my job, something comes up and, you know, my job is how we eat. So I cannot, you know, I have to be able to do well at my job. You know, I feel at this point, I've told the parents, literally just do the best you can. If something doesn't get done on one day, it's it's fine. You know, find some other time to make it up if you can. Um, if it doesn't get done exactly the way I do it, it's fine. You know, kids kids are pretty resilient. We'll, when, when school resumes, we'll match or we will come to the student's level and then push them from there. Um, but the most important thing that I tell the parents is their health. Physical and mental health at this point is the most important thing. Patty and Michael are really fortunate to have such a strong support team in their school district. 
It's not just David Brooks. What I found is the OT did the same thing. Uh, she called me up and she, she gave me very clear instruction of this is what to do. And she gave me a timeline. You know, this is how long he can sit and do this task. And then I have to give him his reinforcer. And then how long she gives the reinforcer. Very clear uh, direction. Um, you know, it's so, so wonderful. And then even the adaptive PE teacher, he sent me an email and gave me instruction of what to do. But he also gave me the words that he uses in his direction to Michael so that, you know, I might just say, you know, come on, Michael, you could, I might say a lot, but he says, you know, just very direct, kick the ball, <laughs> you know, very, you know, keep your words limited to help um, give me direction that way. So all of them gave me the words to use to that what they say to Michael. And that was life-changing for me because then all of a sudden he was doing the task because I was using the correct words instead of, you know, and, I, and it's just short and sweet, but what he had heard before. So with the occupational therapist and phys ed teacher providing similar clear instructions and language, Patty, the nurse and mother, continues to receive additional help and support as Michael's primary educational provider. And she's seeing what Michael is capable of and learning more about what he knows and what he can do. I found out a lot more of what Michael can do. Um, you know, I didn't know Michael could count money that he could count coins, that he knew what, what that, you know, what the value of a coin was, but he was able to match it. I didn't know he could tell time um, and he could tell time very easily. It is a big problem when the child cannot communicate, um, you know, when they're nonverbal, that you don't know what's going on in the head to have low expectations. And um, my sister always tells me, you know, always have high expectations. And, uh, and I thought I had high expectations, but I, you know, I'm really learning a lot about Michael. And then he's responding to that, though, too. Um, what I found in the last two weeks is he's talking to me more. He's using more words that I haven't heard him say previously. He was talking about the playground, talking about a book that he read, talking about the slide. I'd never heard him say talk about the slide before you know, coming up and speaking, you know, saying words to me that I haven't heard him say, and then using his device, his whole sentence, flip it out. Like, I didn't even know. I'm like, what did you just say? I wanted to make sure I, I stopped everything and to reinforce what he had done. You know, it's very empowering. So it seems like things are more or less working out so far. Patty is settling into her role as mother, nurse, and teacher. And Michael continues to learn what it means to learn from home. How long the situation and arrangement will continue is still unknown. At least for now, there aren't any foreseeable plans to try and introduce remote academic instruction via video distance learning. From what I have seen is when we've done these video conferences, the, the kids are very easily distracted. Um, they tend to be more concerned about looking at themselves and having fun, you know, which is completely understandable. Um, and then I think any sort of true academic instruction taking place like that would be, would be pretty difficult. So it would be more of a social get together, keep, keep the um, relationship going. You know, I'm hoping to get, multiple students on kind of a Zoom or conference call so they can continue to see each other and have those relationships. Relationships are at the heart of this. The relationship between a teacher and a student, a parent 
and a child, a teacher and a parent. And like all relationships, they require considerable time and effort to build, nurture, and strengthen them. It's still early. Things are still evolving and changing. But there are some early wins, some early victories. You know, I would like to say that I would say Patty, Patty's case is, is a victory. Um, you know, her and I have, have communicated, um, quite a bit throughout the school year. And I know that she, um, has been stressed over, over some things and still kind of learning how or what makes Michael tick. So the fact that she is able to see firsthand all of the the cool and fun and successful things that we see at school that she may not be seeing at home. Now she is seeing at home and she is helping to shape that um, and hearing how surprised and excited and happy she is that she now knows her son is capable of doing all these really cool things that she didn't know before, um, I think is a success. I don't know. I'm just seeing, I am seeing a whole nother part of him through this experience that one problem I have had in the past is um, getting overwhelmed by autism in that, you know, you have to have hope that my child is, you know, I wanted to be a productive member of society, you know, to reach his full potential, whatever that may be, never knowing really what is his potential? What is that going to look like? But always just, you know, stay in the course and keeping positive. And but I wax and wane, you know, sometimes autism is just too overwhelming. And I wonder how am I going to succeed? How am I going to help my child? But the amount of hope that this has put, <laughs> this has given me so much hope because I'm seeing a whole nother side of him than I ever, that I've seen before and seeing how much more he can do. And I just can't wait to find out more of what he can do that he can you know, share with me. You're listening to Inspiring Change from Ocali, our forum of stories and connections from our ongoing work of inspiring change and promoting access for people with disabilities. Special thanks to Patty and David for sharing their thoughts and experiences with us. We look forward to talking to more parents, educators, and other professionals as part of our ongoing series, Voices, Visions, and Victories. You can find those episodes at ocali.org slash podcasts. You'll also find transcripts of all of our episodes for those who need an accessible version of this podcast. And of course, you can find Inspiring Change at popular podcast sites like Apple, Google, or Stitcher. Choose your favorite one and be sure to subscribe. Thanks again for listening to Inspiring Change, because the need for change is everywhere, and inspiration can happen anywhere. I'm Simon Buer. See you soon.